Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Hey there, thanks for downloading the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if you like ag podcasts like this one, uh, head over to farmruralag.com and check out more good stuff over there. We are almost done with our series here on sustainability at scale. This really got kicked off back in episode 98 with Mark Brazo, uh, that name of that episode is Evidence-Based Agriculture and Defining Sustainability. He set me on a course of how we should frame up this conversation on sustainability and what we should explore. And we have been all over the place. If you've been with us in this journey, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, Everything from insect farming to microbial technologies with indigo uh, to intercropping and nutrient management uh, to Internet of Things and organic agriculture. We've we've kind of run the gamut. Uh, One thing that has come up a few times, but we haven't done an episode about, uh, at least not under sort of this umbrella, is regenerative agriculture. If you heard Ryan Soroli talk about it back in episode 101, how um, Dannon is looking at regenerative agriculture, it's come up multiple times as I've been exploring uh, sustainability in agriculture. It, it almost feels like it's going to become more and more a central part of the conversation when it comes to what the consumers expect when it when it comes to their food production. And so I thought we should take an episode to explore it. I reached out to some contacts to try to figure out who we should have on the show. And I did have a lead on a really, really interesting PhD who explores regenerative agriculture. But as I learned more about it, I realized that If we're going to talk about regenerative agriculture, it really needs to come from a producer and more specifically, a producer who has seen both what we can call conventional ways of farming as well as regenerative and try to define what are the differences and is this really practical or is it something that just sounds good? Uh, If you're wondering what is regenerative agriculture, uh, the website Regeneration International describes it as farming and grazing practices that, among other benefits, reverse climate change by rebuilding soil organic matter and restoring degraded soil biodiversity, resulting in both carbon drawdown and improving the water cycle. What you're going to hear today is two farmers. Del Fike of Fike Cattle Company and Graham Christensen. Uh, Graham and his family have been farming in Nebraska for over 150 years. Uh, Del has been farming in, in his family for multiple generations as well. Uh, I reached out to Regeneration International, who got me in touch with Graham, who said that he learned everything he knows from Dell. And so really happy to have both of these guys on the show. Um, I will tell you, if you're from a conventional mindset, some of this stuff might challenge your way of thinking. And I encourage everyone to go into this with an open mind and uh, enjoy the opportunity to hear about farming from someone else's lens, which is that of someone, two people who believe very strongly in regenerative agriculture and are coming at this from two very different directions. Anyway, I enjoyed getting to learn a lot more about this and what it looks like on a real practical level. I'm going to go ahead and just drop you right into the conversation where Del Fike is talking about how he got into regenerative farming. About 15 years ago, I ended up having a series of, of back surgeries that kind of changed my direction and 
and for a lot of um, practical reasons, really changed the the whole direction of my life and and how I how I address what we need to do not only on the farm but socially and you know as far as the culture around us. And so, with all that being said, uh, I went back to school, um, got some degrees in in the medicine side of things, one in radiology, one in hospital administration, and managed a clinic for about five years here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and uh, you know, we were still farming several thousand acres at that point. Uh, we had switched to no-till and stuff like that in the 80s. And it, it tried to make some headway, but really didn't have a, a plan or really didn't have it in our hearts at that at that point to uh, to really make the switch. After listening to all these people come into the clinic and their take on the farmer and, and what they were doing and and the curiosity behind um, why everything was so secretive on the farm uh, really got me thinking. And my dad was still alive at that point. I stopped and talked to him one night, and I said, "Dad, you know these people don't uh, don't think much of people in agriculture." And I said, "I don't don't disagree with them." And he said, "Yeah." He said, "You know, if they're the reason we're doing this." And he said, "Even though you know we're not raising much food actually anymore from a grain side of things." you know, our livestock operations and stuff. We wanted to get in touch with <clears throat> these people. And, and my dad was always very open-minded about all these things. And so, you know, we started, and it's probably even longer than 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago on, on cover crops for grazing cattle and things like that. Not really knowing that, you know, the benefits of what we were going to do to that soil. Um, I always say it's easier for a livestock person to get into the holistic side of things or at least a regenerative type deal with cover crops because you can you're planning it for feed and your benefits of the animal impact on the soil you know it's just uh, something we weren't thinking about so you know after 10 years of doing that we noticed huge results um, of the soil organic matter one particular field went from 2.6 to 6.9 percent you know, I, I'm not smart enough to figure all this out, um, but I, I believe there was a calling for me in in how I can do this and show others. And um, so, yeah, long story short, we were doing everything wrong, at least in my mind. And um, it's taken us to this point where we're associated with good people like Graham and, and uh, you know, it gives us the chance to really go out and, and to educate and, and open up our farm for these people. And we're all in this together, you know. And so, sorry that was a, a long answer to a short question, but that's kind of how we got our start. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just curious about the uh, what's different it is specifically. So, uh, paint us a picture of what your farm looked like before you went on this journey, and then what it looks like now. Well, my cousin and I were farming several thousand acres, stretched across three or four counties. You know, we're just running our asses off, doing all this ridiculous stuff, and and thinking we were doing amazing things for agriculture and we weren't doing anything but wearing equipment out and wearing us out and wearing the soil out. And so we went from several thousand acres to now we're, uh, we're a little less than 700. Um, during that time we had all that farm ground. We still maintained our cow herd. Uh, we kind of rolled that into uh, our new cow herd. We trademarked and call them graze masters. Um, so the cows have always been a big big part of what we're doing but with all that being said we went from several thousand and 
acres and a couple hundred head of cattle to basically 70 to 100 head of cattle and less than 700 acres. And uh, the profits are at least 70% higher than they were when we were farming all that. Wow. Dell, to make sure I'm uh, I'm understanding, you know, kind of getting the right picture in my head here, w- what I have in my head is that y- you went from basically growing a lot of con- conventionally grown row crops to, to grow grain, to feed cattle in sort of a feedlot setting. And what you sort of did is consolidate those down into more of a rotation of both row crops in pasture and having having your livestock graze. It, it, am I missing a big component of that or, or do I have the sense of it? No, no, you you do. So, yeah, we used to jam cattle into a feedlot. My dad loved feeding cattle. I hated feeding cattle. I was a geneticist, at least in, in my mindset on, on the purebred side of cattle. I always figured when cattle hit the feedlot, there was no potential left. They were just a mistake that I didn't, you know, maximize um, raising them through the, the seed stock program. So, yeah, they, you know, we chopped silage, chopped silage, you know, all fall. And then we fed silage all winter diesel fuel time you could never go any place and then the really cool part about that is all that silage and ground hay and everything caused a lot of manure so then the other six months of the year all we got done was falling manure so all of that when it stops you know the, the fuel truck guy comes one time a year instead of one time a week you know and all that so we're allowing these animals to get back to their natural setting and of course that's how you eliminate a lot of vet costs and things like that because they're always grazing and we still supplement some with with some sorghum in our meat program but um you know it's the environment it's just just like our grandpa's used to raise until someone come along and said you're not making enough money you need to make it more efficient buy this buy this upright silo buy this hog confinement building buy yeah so there's just a lot of things they didn't need but everyone in the in the quest for being, you know, on top of everything, it, it was sure easy for people to, and different times, you know, this, the 50s, 60s, and 70s were the heydays, and uh, I can tell you stories about the 80s, not on here, but uh, it, it was pretty rough on me, and it set my course on to be pretty stern on how I, I want to see towns, um, you know, revitalize, and I want to see families happy again, and I want to see communities growing and all that. So yeah, it's just back to common sense. And do you think you'll get to the point where uh, other than fuel, um, you won't have to buy any inputs at all? You know, if I wasn't, if I could be more focused, I know I could do that. So equipment costs per acre, I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of these farms that are having trouble now, these mega farms are $250 an acre equipment costs. They can't figure out why they're not making money. Well, you know, they're tilling, so they need six tractors and six turbo tills and tiger tills and terra tills and all these till deals. And um, so, you know, my my cost per acre on equipment's 20, $26 or $30 an acre. You know, I, I got to have a tractor to, to do some hay stuff to put out those bills, at least, you know, even in a, just a grazing scenario everything else i have done custom because it's you just don't need to own that you can have it done way cheaper and so you know i think i'm about as low as i can go there without like going back to the horse and buggy which i'm not no one wants to do and we're not advocating for that so i think i can get 90 percent efficient um, on all this and and reduce it down to that but i know i'm going to have a 
always some something in there that I, I cannot eliminate completely. So, sure, Gra- Graham. What about you? Tell tell us a little bit about your background and how you have made your way into regenerative agriculture. Yeah, I think um, definitely a different uh, perspective than Dell, but the same kind of principles are underlying there. You know, our our family's been farming in Nebraska this month, uh, marks the 151st anniversary of our family farm. So it's a very proud tradition. And, you know, my brother and I have vowed to keep the farm in the family. Um, But uh, I was a product of the 80s. So I understand the farm crisis and and I understand what's going on out in the country right now with the downturn in commodities. And um, we, my brother and I somewhat feel, you know, I've felt uh, more recently that, that um, we want to have more control of our product. And uh, furthermore, that we want to do, uh, be able to turn the land over to a next generation of Christiansons uh, in, in better shape than it was, was before. I really started kind of taking a, a, a deeper dive into a lot of these regenerative principles, I think, before the term regenerative popped up. But about a decade ago, as, I, as we were talking about carbon sequestration for climate change, and the climate change issue is one that I uh, uh, have been you know, really concerned about. But um, I've, I've also, it's been clear in my mind that farmers are the solution. And you know, I don't care if people believe in climate change or not. The science is there. There's changes that are happening. Um, and, and the farmer has a great opportunity here to, to benefit by being a part of the solution. Um, and, and, you know, we don't need to get into that because there's so many positive things that come by, by implementing some of these regenerative practices. And I learned about them as I started going across the, the uh, Nebraska and, and Kansas and uh, Colorado regions about the great work that you can do um, by uh, getting rid of tillage and then uh, starting to apply, apply cover cropping and, and, and once again, reintegrating livestock with the soil. Uh, the, the recovery um, mechanisms of, of the ground are just, are just uh, unbelievable and they sink a lot of carbon in the process, which creates more life in the ground, which essentially creates more uh, yield productivity. Uh, you just have to be uh, just slightly a little, bit, uh, a little bit more creative about how you go about things. Um, so we've, over the last decade on our farm, um, have started implementing some of these practices. Now, we're not a regenerative farm um, on our farm at this point. That's our end goal. But um, my brother and I, you know, are, are working with my family who comes from a conventional background. So, well, you know, our you know, my father's policy is, is that, you know, we, it has to be good on the pocketbooks as well as on the ground. So, so we have to be able to kind of prove these things. So we take one step at a time on our farm and we're moving our way towards what, you know, the things that Dell's doing. And I just want to point out, it's very helpful when you have other farmers that are doing these things and doing them successfully um, in your region. So you can better understand, you know, and, and better, you know, make the case that this does work. So we're heading in that direction. Um, we are seeing um, good benefits from some of the regenerative practices that we've started implementing on our farm. And uh, we just feel it's the right thing to do. And it gives us uh, more control and independence over our operation, which is something that we believe that we have to do if we're going to you know, carry on our farm the next 150 years in the family. Adele, I want to get back to something that you said earlier, uh, which is you went from 
basically several thousand acres to to 700 acres, but your profits are 70% more in terms of total profits. Uh, can you walk us through like where that comes from? How much of that is, is better marketing of, of the output versus uh, better control of the cost of the inputs? It, it hinges all on savings primarily to start with. You, the advantages after you make initial savings. <clears throat> so when we were farming all that ground, you know, we we had a million dollars worth of equipment payments. Well, you take that off, you know, that's going to help a hell of a bunch right away. You know, I'm not I'm not that great at numbers, but uh, I know when you take that that million dollars off, that you don't have to pay back just on the equipment side on a large scale operation. It's really going to add up. So we had beautiful pastures back when my grandfather and great grandfather were doing it. And I remember as a child the diversity and walking with my grandfather and seeing all the clovers and the, the amazing diversity in grasses and plants and animals and everything. My knowledge is I've been in an agric- agriculture operation in every state. You know, from the time I was eight on, my dad sent me all over the country because he said, you're not going to know a damn thing about farming if you stay in your own backyard. Go out and see what everybody else is doing. That's what we're doing. You know, we're going out, we're seeing, we're bringing it back. So yes, back to savings alone on chemicals that we were spraying these beautiful pastures with. There might have been one or two muscles out there and we'd nuke the whole thing. I mean, it makes sense. Now when I look back, it's just like, gosh, why didn't I continue doing that? <laughs> Changing our cattle operation went to a, a not a not a government stated all natural program. We call it natural by tradition. So everything my grandpa and great grandfather and everybody before him were doing, take a vet bill that was ten thousand dollars and take it down to twelve hundred dollars because we're not giving all that vaccine because we're keeping these cattle out grazing. You know, they're calving and and going to grass right away and all this stuff. Everything regenerative or sustainable it just means it's all been done. Those are crappy names. You know, I just wish we'd find cool names, but it, it just goes back to common sense. This has all been done. We're not doing anything new. Cover crops, when this country was new, they were doing it. You, you talk to those diehard cover crop guys, they'll tell you the Garden of Eden was all cover crops. Hmm. So it's just, we've, it's all been done. Read, 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 talk to people, get out of your own backyard. And you're going to change your operation. The smallest uh, sustainable or regenerative practice, it will blow people's minds. Just any first step. You know, I think I'm 50% on our farm. What my goal is going to be when that whole farm is the soil's good, the livestock are good. I only have two goals. I want the most accountable cow herd on earth and the best soil on earth. That's all I want. And now just a quick word from our Sustainability at Scale series sponsor, Marone Bio Innovations. Hey, ever heard of Marone's Bio with Bite? Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O.com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. 
to that kind of example, just try, you know, you kind of mentioned try one thing to, to make it slightly, to make your operation slightly more regenerative. Is there one kind of first step that, that uh, you, you give advice to someone who is not do, doing any of these regenerative practices, uh, like a good way to start and kind of test it for themselves? It's an old school of thought. Now, no-till. So my cousin and I started no-tilling in 86, 87, and we did 100% of our acres. Okay, that was a dry year. No one raised anything. 12 bushel corn, we, had, we averaged 77 bushel corn. The next year, every one of our neighbors switched to no-till, and they haven't, they haven't went back. First of all, in my mind, it's the simplest thing. If you're not no-tilling, you no-till. And if you can start adding some cover crops, at least into that rotation, not on every acre, do it in every three years in some type of rotation, and then bring the livestock back. Now, people say, well, we don't want to have cows. Great, don't have cows. If you don't want them, you're going to do a crappy job with them. But your neighbor kid that's always wanted cows, plant that quarter of a quarter or two to cover crops, rent it to him, let him graze it, let him do the work, let him bring the cows. You know, you get some rent off of it, you get all the nutrients, you know, and it's a win-win. Then all of a sudden, that neighbor kid that's been working for the co-op is on his own and his wife's helping because they're grazing so many cows or it, it's just, it, it's such a cool trickle down effect as we get through all this, as we see when we just start doing one thing. So there again, kind of a long answer. Sorry. No, no, it's good. And, and Graham, I know you talk to a lot of people uh, and so you must hear, you must hear the concerns or the objections to taking a regenerative approach over and over and over. What, what are some of the big ones that you hear a lot? Um, I mean, I can just tell you uh, from our own, you know, family conversations um, over the dinner table, you know, it's, it's an economic concern. Like, you know, we've set up an operation to do these things. Now, if you're talking about, um, you know, adding uh, pasture and cover cropping and then reintegrating livestock, you know, which we haven't had on our farm since the early 80s. These are costs, you know, that means we're going back to the days where we, you know, don't get, you know, we're just consumed by, you know, managing that herd. So like there's not spare time for anything. Um, and those have been, you know, points that have been, you know, tough uh, for our family even to get over. And that's why we've had to kind of take, you know, incremental steps so that we can relearn, you know, um, uh, that we actually can find um, both both uh, environmental and economic benefits by by doing uh, these practices. Um, but I really do think that there's a, a big concern out there about what the cost um, is going to be to be able to um, implement these kind of practices. Um, you know, what I appreciate, uh, you know, most about what Dell's done is he was able to make that transition at virtually no cost. He talked a little bit about uh, you know, removing big, heavy equipment from, you know, and expensive equipment from the operation. But he, but he didn't talk about how he just took hay from really good pasture and rolled it out, you know, onto his land in order to reseed some of his land back to pasture, um, uh, which, which costs virtually nothing for him to, you know, give some of the highest quality grazing, you know, pastures in the area. Um, uh, and then the other thing, example that Dell also alluded to is, you don't have to go all in yourself on the livestock side. Uh, this is the regenerative community aspect. You know, the livestock can be from somebody else's work together and everybody benefits. 
Um, so, uh, you know, the economic hurdle, uh, folks like Dell and others across the country have taken that out of the equation. And now that they're doing that and doing that successfully and can show us some real good numbers as well as the soil quality benefits, um, I'm having conversations over our uh, kitchen table um, with my family, you know, that, um, uh, that are going places that wouldn't have before. Um, so the economic equation is being taken out um, by utilizing regenerative and, um, and, uh, and I think like all this extra work um, or bringing the livestock back, you know, as a whole new ball game. Uh, if we simply embrace community instead of work against it, um, it's very easy to get over that one too. I do want to get back to that community part, but before we do, because we're kind of on the topic here, Dell, I know before we started recording, you mentioned um, how, you know, with this approach, you kind of need to train your banker. In, in what ways did you, did you sort of need to train uh, your banker to, uh, to get him comfortable, him or her comfortable with this approach? And I have an advantage and, you know, I'm biased on, on the cow side, you know, because cattle people are just going to gravitate things faster. I'm sorry. You know, they, they just get things faster. He was an old, an old guy. He's, he's 15 years younger than I am, but he's an old cow guy. And he loved seeing what we were doing with our grazing, um, with our whole program. The, the first day I met him, a new banker coming in, I'm like, oh crap, I got to train another banker. I don't really have time for this. We hit it off. I said, you just got to come out. You're my partner in this. He goes, well, I'm not going to tell you what to do. And I said, well, I know that. But I said, I'm going to tell you how to think so you can help other people. And when he come out, he was just, like I said, blown away with, with the drastic changes that were so chock full of common sense. It's just like, well, no crap. If you just, yeah, if you stop doing this, if you stop doing this, you know, like what Graham was talking about, how we've seeded pastures. We've used hay, you know, they, they ate what they wanted, they tromped the seed in, manure and urine around it. We just, you know, in, in a matter of two or three years, we've really had a great success taking poor soils, using these cattle. And well, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're only feeding hay, putting hay out once a month. We're bale grazing, maybe fencing it off. We're not starting two tractors. We're not chopping silage. We're not doing all this. And my banker loved that. He knew right away he could see you know the savings and he could also see the benefit on the other side you know to what it was really really doing for that soil and he's brought more people out than i think anyone else has you know or sent people our way to to talk to us or to look at what we're doing because it makes his job easier you know the last thing he wants to do is be is sending down and doing cash flows on corn and soybeans two things we we certainly don't hardly eat any of it, you know. It goes into all kinds of different channels. You know, these guys taking a beating on that. How how, how are the kids going to come back and farm? You know, we're going to have to get 5,000 more acres. Well, I told him right away, I said, I have not maximized. I've only maximized 4.5 acres of my 700. I said, I will never need more land. My kids and my grandkids will never need more land. Until we maximize each one of those acres, and make it as productive as possible. Naturally, not with synthetics, we don't need to get bigger. We just need to get smarter on this and, and, and work with nature. My banker identified that. Now he, he's a part of the Kansas-Nebraska Bankers educational program where he, he teaches this and, and I speak at it. And, you know, there might be two or 300 people in that room that all young bankers, they're hearing, hey, there's a different way. So... There, there's hope for all of them. Like, 
you know, I, I, I joke that, you know, we need to reproduce them you know, as fast as we can, the good ones, but they all have hope, but they got, they got to have open ears too. And they got to be able to want to come out and see and, and listen and do all that else. It's just not going to work for anybody. And, and Graham, uh, I want to talk more about this, the aspect of this that is uh, sort of revitalizing communities. Um, how does moving some farms toward regenerative practices, how does that help kind of revitalize rural communities? So uh, when you start to produce a product in a certain way and the farmer can gain these benefits and you start to actually connect, once again, rural to urban food pipeline development, um, you know, we start to further build out a market and we start to build out an infrastructure. And, um, and that's, you know, what we're looking at. And of course, with the ability to intercrop trees and systems and add some of these other, other uh, uh, practices like the cover cropping, um, you just have to get more people involved. And uh, so uh, we're, we're really excited about all the rural entrepreneurship opportunities that can come with uh, developing, um, uh, you know, your farm, your respective farm in this way. Um, and it goes, you know, much beyond just on the farm, although creativity allows for more of that, but it goes into processing, transportation, and, and, um, and uh, you know, in some cases, uh, there's cooperative structures here that are that have people that are getting paid to help market the product for the farmers so they can just continue to do what they want to do most. And that's, that's be out of, you know, getting their hands dirty in the soil. Uh, so I think that's one of the most exciting things that, that I see about this whole deal is I would like to see more young energy coming back to our farms, um, you know, planting and placing these big mega operations. Uh, is not yielding opportunities for young people in our communities. Um, that that is not that is not happening. And so this this um, slight uh, shift in the way that we go about food production opens up these kind of opportunities. And I'm I'm hoping one day again to see diversification in which uh, we have you know vibrant main streets and and a lot of young rural people that work can work together. You know um, uh, you know uh, in our in our region. I think this is interesting, and I'm really glad we have both of you on because I, I'm almost hearing two different narratives, and they, and they both can, can true simultaneously. You know, one is not at the expense of the other, but but one is that hey, look, this is a more economically sustainable model because my decreased costs are widening my profit margin, and now I don't need to stretch myself thin over thousands of acres and take huge loans out. I can I can manage it and make more money at the same time. But then on the other hand, kind of to what you were just saying, Graham, um, there's this other opportunity where, hey, you could value add and, and do some interesting things where you can connect direct to consumers. But that's almost like a, you know, it's almost like a different, uh, different approach because you're still widening profit margin, but it's more on on the, the marketing side as well. Um, I, I guess, first of all, am I reading that correctly? And either one of you can answer this. And then also love to hear your perspective on scaling regenerative agriculture. This series we're on is called Sustainability at Scale, uh, looking at, you know, how can we really move the needle when it comes to sustainability in the broadest sense? In your opinion, what's it going to take for regenerative agriculture to scale to the point where, you know, a significant portion of, of the calories we consume uh, were grown regeneratively? Well, there again, I mean, we've, we've done it in the past, you know, we've done, <clears throat> done all that just two, a couple generations ago, um, three generations ago, for sure. What's it going to take? Graham touched on it. Um, everyone asks it. bottom line, it's got to be good for the bottom line. 
when they see the benefits, you know, they're going to have to have some incentive to do it. Um, but the biggest thing I think is it's going to have to be easy for them. Agriculture people, when, when the livestock left, and I, I can't say it's row crop farming is easy, but it's damn sure easier than moving cows three times a day. I know that much. So you, you give them the incentive, bottom line, and you make it easy. Now, who does that? Who, who's, the, who's the person that goes around and, and, and tells them or, or shows them the markets that are already there? Third, yeah, thirdly is the markets. You know, We can do it on a smaller scale and barter back and forth with neighbors, but there's so many variables. I do not have the answer. I, I rack my brain every night on how we make this large scale um, and we don't even have to change all of our acres to do this. A fraction of the acres in the United States, say in this area west of where I'm at, just switching to something else can feed a lot of people. Now, I realize it's seasonal. You know, we're, we're not California and we're not Texas and all that, but I, I know we can do it here if just someone comes up with this magic formula and I don't have it yet. I can throw out all those things that I think would make a difference, but it's going to happen. Dale, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If somebody wants to check out the work you're doing, I know you have a website. Could you give a plug for that URL? Yeah, it's fikecattle.com, F-I-C-K-E cattle.com. They can go on there and see basically every story on how we, uh, you know, transitioned and, and there's all kinds of cool things on there. And, and it's, uh, it's talks a little bit about our, our consulting and things like that. So we welcome anybody to, to go to that and sign up for our free newsletter so they can keep track of everything we're doing. And we just want to help everyone out. Thank you so much. And Graham, well, where can people find out more about the work you're doing in Nebraska? Yeah, a couple places. Um, first, for the kind of the regenerative activity in Nebraska, uh, Regenerate Nebraska is a uh, effort that started up as, as an umbrella that represents a whole bunch of groups and voices that are involved in, in looking at this kind of future direction in agriculture. So just hop on the Regenerate Nebraska Facebook page. We welcome you. Um, you can kind of see how, how uh, folks are talking about things on that. And then, um, you know, my, my, um, my consulting business that helps uh, uh, start talking about how we transition on the farm is uh, at, found at gcresolve.com, gcresolve.com. Great. Thank you guys very much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. It's been an interesting look on uh, regenerative agriculture and, and uh, the benefits and, and challenges ahead to making this thing stale, scale. So thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank Rob. you so much. Hey, I hope you learned a little bit about regenerative agriculture there. I know I certainly did. I don't know that I really understood the concept before talking to those guys. So that was really enjoyable for me to learn that. I thought one thing that was interesting is not only the sustainability of building soil organic matter and sequestering carbon, but uh, the fact that perhaps through methods such as this, we can start to revive rural communities and bring in some economic sustainability as well and sustainability for a smaller scale farmer uh, to survive and thrive without having to get huge or get out, as they say. Next week is going to be a really interesting add on to this episode. And, and here's what we're going to explore. A blockchain based 
technology that will pay farmers to sequester carbon. So we're going to we're going to recall back on our blockchain days from that series earlier this year and then definitely recall this episode. How can farmers like this that can prove they are bringing carbon out of the atmosphere actually get paid for it? Very interesting talk next week. So encourage you to check it out. Uh, if you have an a follow-up question for uh, either of our guests today, Dell or Graham, head over to speakpipe.com forward slash future of ag. Leave a message. Just tell us who you are and ask your question. I'll get it in front of those guys and get it back on a future follow-up Friday. Thanks. We'll be back next week to conclude our sustainability at scale series. Thank you for listening to the future of agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,